0: my name is Jenny Kwong.
1: And I'm Nathan Taylor.
0: Welcome to ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary on Trudy Seven Lands and Métis Region 3. So what do you have for us this month, Nathan?
1: Well, Jenny, for this, the uh, Calgary International Film Festival episode of ArtsLink, I'll be speaking with uh, filmmaker Omar Mualim about his film The Lebanese Burger Mafia, a documentary about Burger Baron.
0: And today I have an interview with documentary filmmaker Kathleen Jamie. She's here to talk about her film, I'm Just Here for the Riot, about the 2011 uh, Stanley Cup Final riots in Vancouver. After that, there will be an interview with local filmmaker Kamala perel Natal about her short film, The Gateway. Both will be seen at the Calgary International Film Festival this year. Hi, uh, my name is Jenny Kuang for ArtsLink on CJSW 9.9 FM in Calgary. Today, I'm speaking with one of the directors of a documentary. It's called I'm Just Here for the Riot. So welcome. Can you introduce yourself and tell me a bit about yourself?
2: Yes. Uh, hi, Jenny. Thanks so much for having me. Um, my name is Kathleen Jamie, and I'm one of the co-directors of I'm Just Here for the Riot. Um, I am from, uh, I'm a filmmaker based in Vancouver and my co-director and I, Asia Youngman, um, we've just, we feel very lucky uh, and grateful to get the opportunity to tell this really important Vancouver story.
0: Tell me what happened that night on June 15th,
2: 2011. So um, the Canucks are our pro NHL team, obviously, and. Um, we we finally we made it back to the playoffs, um, and we were you know on the brink of history. We were one game away from winning um, the the Stanley Cup, uh, the Canucks' first ever Stanley Cup, and unfortunately, we lost to the Boston Bruins, and a riot ensued. And what's really what makes this riot really uh, fascinating and interesting is that it's known as as the first um, social media uh what uh, it's known as the most documented riot documented riot in history and it's um it was one of the first sort of social media uh witch hunts um ever to happen
0: and so tell me who who were the subjects of this documentary that you were able to uh speak on a camera
2: yeah so um we we wanted to interview a whole range of people who were who were there that night um so Asia and I did a lot, you know, we did a lot of research, um, called and made many, many attempts to, to try to track people down. Um, in the film, you know, we've um, we we talked to those who were involved in the riot. We talked to those bystanders uh, who who were there that night, um, who, who uh, we we, um, we talked to law enforcement um, and, you know, in our research calls, we also talked to those who were were there to take photographs. Um, We we talked to, um, you know, in the film, you know, we do talk to um, uh, someone who is also uh, involved, um, uh, who was who's actually there who 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 was there just to take photos that night as well. Um, And so yeah, so we, we, we interviewed a whole multitude of people um, just to kind of really understand how people got involved that night, how people kind of got sucked into the mob mentality um, of the riot.
0: Is there a sense now after all this time, is there a way of uh, reflecting back on what happened and as well as call me think of what exactly sparked the riot in the first place?
2: Yes, I. you know, I I've, we've always wanted to tell this story. Um And I think now, you know, it's been over a decade. And now I think it's 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 time enough time has passed that we can kind of look back and reflect and um, have these conversations. I think, you know, a lot of people were embarrassed about what happened. And so it kind of got swept under the rug. Um, But now I think it, it, it is important to learn from our mistakes, to understand what happened so that it doesn't happen again. Um, this is actually the second time we've rioted after a game seven loss here in Vancouver. So, you know, hopefully we make it to the the playoffs again and hopefully, um, you know, we, we can learn from what happened in 94 and 2011 and, and make sure this doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah. Um, after every um, playoff run, uh, there's a time for both the city and the uh sports organization to kind of assess what happened and so with something so humongous that happened is it something that um are there has there been changes since then to both the sports organization and the city in regards to like uh sports uh events like
2: this yeah i mean I know that um, in 2019, when the Raptors won the NBA championship, I think every province in the city and every big city was sort of hosting their own, uh, you know, quote unquote Jurassic Park, um, similar to what Toronto was doing, having like l- large outdoor gatherings, watching the game. Uh, Vancouver is was, was probably one of the only cities that didn't have this. Um, we've sort of been uh, put in a timeout, you could say, Um, We have, I don't, I'm not sure if this has changed um, since 2019, but, you know, this happened in 2011 and in 2019, we we still weren't allowed to have big outdoor gatherings, um, watching, um, you know, sports together outside, which is unfortunate because sports is such a a beautiful way to bring community together. Um, And so hopefully, you know, again, we can you know, learn from our mistakes, have these difficult conversations so that we can get back to sort of congregating together um, uh, outside. And
0: what about the social media component
2: to the
0: uh, to the documentation of the riot online by so many who were there that night?
2: Yeah. So, you know, 2011, Facebook was relatively new. Everyone um, You know everyone this is still at a time when we would you know people would post albums and hundreds of photos per album to facebook and so in 2011 a lot of people went downtown took photos uploaded it onto social media to show and to kind of boast about what they had done they changed their facebook status and listed the whole you know they listed everything that they had done during the riot not realizing that they were actually incriminating themselves and so obviously this is, um, this was one of the first times this has happened. So no one really kind of clued in. And, and I think we've kind of all now understand the, the power of social media, but, you know, I think that's why looking back at 2011 is so fascinating because we, you know, cancer culture wasn't like a daily thing for us. Um, and it's just really interesting to look back to see how sort of naive we were with this type of technology and
0: why did it take more than 10 years to have this uh this film ready for the public
2: yeah um you know I, to make a film you kind of have to have all the all the stars kind of aligning together um you know early after 2011 um, when when I, I i began to pitch this um and no one you know no one really wanted to hear about it and so I met Asian Twenty Eighteen, and we were talking about um, ideas and stories that we both wanted to tell in our careers. And we both mentioned that we that this story, the Twenty Eleven Hockey ride, was a, a story that had both impact uh, had impacted us both. Um, and we decided to embark on the 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 journey um, together. And thankfully, you know. People were, at, at, you know, ten years later, um, ready to to hear the pitch, and you know, thankfully, ESPN thirty four thirty got on board right away, and you know, the rest is history, as they say. Have you
0: and Asia worked together before on the project? And
2: no, this is this is our first project working together.
0: And so has how has it been the process of doing a collaborative project like this?
2: Yeah, it's been. It's been a, a really rewarding um, experience for me. I've learned so much co-directing. Um, you know, it was it was challenging at times, but you know, at the end of the day, it's been really, really uh, nice. And I, I'm very grateful to to go through this process and to tell this difficult story with one of my closest friends uh, by my side.
0: With the film uh, uh, almost ready for the audience to see, I guess uh what do you, you think folks will take from this after so much time has from from those who might have seen uh images of the riots on tv and from those who may not have been around for it
2: yeah i think i think we'd love people to take a second to to to, to pause and reflect. Um, and to really ask themselves, you know, I think it's very easy to say, like, I, I wouldn't have participated in that. Um, and, you know, everyone's just all those rioters are also terrible. And, you know, we definitely did not want to excuse anyone. But we hope people take can, can watch this film and understand the the complexities of a riot and how riots, um, how riots occur and um, what motivates humans to act the way that, that we do in some certain circumstances. So, you know, I think um, having an open mind and and not. And I think Asia and I would love people to also um, think twice about going online and posting something online, you know, maybe taking a breather, taking a moment or two to reflect before we, we kind of uh, go on go online and start typing away all right uh thank you very
0: much uh kathleen for your time today and anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up
2: uh thank you so much for having me jenny
0: hi this is jenny again and that was my interview with kathleen jamie co-director for the documentary i'm just here for the riot about the game seven hockey riot in vancouver in 2011.
1: Today I'm speaking with Omar Muallam, who is the director of the Lebanese Burger Mafia, which will be playing at the Eau Claire Cinemas 645 tomorrow, September 26th. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for the interview. Well, this is a pleasure and a very interesting topic. Um, we're going to be speaking about the strange, inconsistent world of the Burger Baron, a delicious place to be, I can attest to. And um, can you give us a little bit of a, a lowdown on what Burger Baron is?
3: Well, I mean, in, in its simplest definition, Burger Baron is a independent fast food restaurant um, that you'll only find in Alberta and mostly in small towns, um, such as Wainwright, Mayerthorpe, uh, Caroline, um, and they're most famous for their mushroom burger, which has a particular sauce that I think if you didn't grow up on the prairies, you might find it a little foul. But people on the prairies find it delicious. It's pretty much akin to Campbell's mushroom soup. So that's the simple one. But then, of course, like what is what is the corporate entity of Burger Baron? Uh, who owns it? Does anyone own it? Why are every why is every location different? Why are the logos different? That's what this movie's about.
1: Now, you uh, made a shorter documentary, a 45-minute one that uh, CBC made, um, uh, that uh, you have expanded um, to 90 minutes full full length. Can you tell us about your journey from the short, I guess we could call it, to this uh, full length? And I, I see that there's uh, animation, there's dances in it.
3: <laughs> sure. I mean, that journey does start in 1987, though, when I was two years old. Um, that's, that's when my parents opened up a Burger Baron in High Prairie, Alberta. And, um, you know, that, that restaurant did great things for our family. Um, we, my, my dad ran it totally at his own whims. Um, I, you know, have no idea where he got those, those recipes from, but it was just sort of something that he had, uh, I guess learned from, from, uh, other people and, uh, opened up this restaurant. As I got older, I started to notice that there were more Burger Barons spread about the province as we would go on little like on hockey tournaments and stuff. And my dad would always want to stop in those Burger Barons. And, you know, I thought that was strange. Like, can't we go to a McDonald's or something like that? Um, But then he would go and talk to the owners. And I noticed that they were always Lebanese, just like us. They spoke in Arabic. They would talk about the homeland. Sometimes they were old friends. Sometimes they didn't know each other. Um, And I always found that kind of curious, like how how could a Canadian fast food franchise only seem to exist in, you know, one ethnic community? And then I started to pay attention to the differences, the differences between the logos, the menus, they all just it's dealer's choice. They're all different. And as I got older, I became a writer, filmmaker, journalist. I decided I wanted to investigate it. And actually, it was 10 years ago that I wrote a sort of quirky investigative piece for Swerve magazine in the Calgary Herald called, called Will the Real Burger Baron Please Stand Up? And I was able to find the actual founder of Burger Baron and to my surprise, not a Lebanese man, but a Irish American man named Jack McDonald. How wonderful is that? Um, And I was also able to learn about some of the feuding that had been going on in order to try to. Uh, kind of rein in this restaurant, which had gone rogue. I mean, it was once a very, you know, uh, a very unified, centralized corporation, much like the McDonald's of Canada. Um, But uh, along the way, it went rogue. And along the way, Lebanese people like my family kind of took over it and did whatever they wanted with that. Um, So, you know, in some ways, it's, it's sort of this investigation into, Um, you know, into this mysterious restaurant with a cult following. But it's actually the story of an immigrant community finding the Canadian dream through this very strange pathway that they all kind of stumbled upon. Um, And so, you know, because of that article, I, you know, it kind of followed me. I've done a lot of Uh, like, you know, maybe more serious journalism, you know, investigative journalism, policy type journalism. But everyone always wanted to talk to me about the Burger Baron story. So when I started um, making documentaries, I just knew that this was going to be one of the first ones that I made. And we started with The Last Baron, which was this TV documentary on CBC. So as soon as the CBC short came out, um, there was just huge uh, a, a wonderful positive response from people. I heard from people from all over the country, and we could just tell that there was, um, you know, there was a desire to for for people to um, under you know, I guess uh, get the full fuller story of this. We had a lot of story that we had to leave out of that short version, um, and so we wanted to really get deep into it tell some of the amazing stories of of, uh, some of the immigrants who left the Civil War in order to come to Canada and and kind of found peace and security through Burger Baron. Um, And uh, and so we got to work on a feature film, um, and we crowdfunded for that. And uh, earlier this year, we had our premiere at Hot Docs in Toronto. And since then, it's just been, uh, been going great. And we're excited to finally bring it to Calgary.
1: And it will be playing tomorrow, September twenty sixth, at Eau Claire Theaters at six forty five. Now, I gotta ask: uh, when I was looking at your crowdfunding information, uh, you know, one of the levels was so we can get a lawyer to research some of this stuff. Can you give our audience an idea of just how twisted and obscure uh, finding out the legal, you know, quirks about this story was?
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's actually quite a case study in in sort of uh, corporate law. Um, and in fact, there's a, a legal scholar at the University of Alberta, Anna Lund, who who does teach Burger Baron as a, as a bit of a case study to her students. Uh, we interview her in our film, but she's been doing that for a few years. Um, you know, Burger Baron, like I said, it started as a legitimate corporation um, in 1957. It grew really, really quickly. It was very popular. But it was also kind of loaded with debt and it collapsed under the weight of its own sort of rapid succession um, just a few years later. And it became kind of a orphaned franchise. Um, There's no real clear evidence that the intellectual property, the trademarks like the logo and whatnot were properly passed down. Creditors didn't seem to have uh, uh, sold them to another entity. They weren't passed down to the family as far as we could tell. Um, and so it kind of created this opening where anyone can go in and do whatever they want with Burger Baron. But of course, you know, who would want a orphan franchise, right? Like it's it's all the headache of a, you know, of a, of a friend running a franchise restaurant with, with none of the perks of like, you know, bulk, uh, bulk purchases and bulk advertising. Um, well, it turns out that there was someone who saw potential in that uh, there was a, uh, Lebanese immigrant named Rudy Cameldeen, who kind of bought one of the last remaining Burger Barons in 1965. By by then, they were kind, they were quite they were floundering quite a bit. There was only a handful left, and he had a great success with that. That was in Edmonton, and he started to just open his own Burger Barons because it because there was no corporate corporate headquarters anymore. He could, he just could do that, or at least that's what he thought he could do. And he got away with it, and it just sort of passed on through the collective knowledge of the Lebanese community until, you know, you get to the 90s. And there were over 50 Burger Barons, all owned by Lebanese people, um, who sort of learned it uh, through this process of chain migration. Um, But then the McDonald family, who had still been operating one Burger Baron in Regina, um, they decided that they were going to try to take the company back, um, and in some ways they were successful. Um, they did manage to. Well, you know what? That's a spoiler, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. In some ways they were successful, but in other ways I think it just revealed what a crapshoot this, um, you know, this company and brand
1: has become. Wow. Well, thanks for talking to me and uh, um, appreciate it. Your, your film is uh, going to be playing, sorry, I should say, the, uh, the Lebanese Burger Mafia is going to be playing tomorrow, Tuesday, September 26th, 6.45 p.m. at the Eau Claire Cinemas. Thanks again. Uh, this has been interesting. No, thanks. That was fun. That was my conversation with filmmaker Omar Mualim about his documentary, The Lebanese Burger Mafia.
0: Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for Artsync on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Today, I'm speaking with Kamala Perel-Notel, uh, filmmaker as part of the Calgary International Film Festival this year. So welcome, Kamala.
4: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: And so I guess talk about the film you have in the film festival. It's called The Gateway. That's right. Yes. So what's it about?
4: Uh, The Gateway is a short film about a hip-hop artist in Calgary called Tara Wilson, who creates a life-changing mentorship program for talented young street dancers uh, who are looking for pre-professional training in dance and teaching.
0: And so how did The Connection uh, take place with you and uh, the subject of the film?
4: Well, it turns out that Tara is my sister. Really? So I've watched her uh, for years doing the work that she does uh, just in admiration uh, because of her devotion to hip-hop culture and its values and to building community uh, with kids who need that in their lives.
0: And so what was it like to uh, tell the story of the kids who are part of the film?
4: It was great. They are really talented. They all are at times in their lives when they're trying to figure out who they are and sort of where they belong. And they were really open with their emotional journeys. And uh, that was a real pleasure, actually. Um, to They were very willing to share their, uh, their experiences. And the show, which is kind of the focal point of the film, uh, their final show after two years of training um, is a show that features individual pieces that are built on their own personal stories of growth. So it was really it was really great and really cathartic and very entertaining because they're amazing dancers.
0: Where did the filming take place?
4: We were mostly in well, we were always in Calgary, all over Calgary actually, because the kids in the film come from almost every, well, they come from every quadrant of the city. So I wanted to make the city kind of a character in the film and film them in the places where, in their neighborhoods, the places where they dance, Uh, and also at uh, at the theater uh, where they are doing their performance.
0: Tell me about filming at the different locations and uh, how you were able to uh, put the different pieces together.
4: Sure. Uh, well, we I kind of wanted to show how diverse Calgary is. You know, we have uh, really urban-looking spaces. So we had one of the dancers dancing, you know, in front of the beautiful library, uh, but in that really urban kind of bell studio look. And then we had others dancing in, you know, the far southeast, in the in like this neighborhood called uh, Legacy, with like all these like weird fountains and you know arches everywhere. Uh, we had yeah we just had a, you know somebody, we had a kid who was dancing um, in a little park like outside in his suburban neighborhood, uh, and yeah I think it really showed I think it really showed how people are you know, who come to Calgary may live in completely different environments. We also had one of our dancers who was in High River. So we got to use the, you know, the beautiful mountainscape to kind of highlight the diversity of the geography here.
0: And what about in the theater space they end up at?
4: Uh, Yeah, in the theater space, it was really great because we got to show some of the process that that the kids go through um, when they are going when they're preparing for their show. So it's uh it's called the uh, West village theater down on 10th Avenue Southwest. And it was, yeah, it was really, an it's a neat theater because it's a small space. It's very intimate. And we were able to get really close and really see the emotional depth um, that the, that the performers were, kind of experimenting with when they were preparing their pieces.
0: And tell me about uh, your experience uh, making films in southern Alberta and what's it like to uh, get to this project?
4: What's it like to, sorry?
0: To, get a, a, to develop this project.
4: Oh, right. Um, well, we were really fortunate to have the support of Tell Us Story Hive, which is an amazing uh, funder. Uh, to tell this story, and also the Alberta Media Fund and also the National Film Board. Uh, so it just made it really, um, a, you know, a really great opportunity for us to tell a local story that has some, you know, universal touch points, but we were really encouraged to, uh, you know, tell a story of somebody who's a game changer. It was part of the, the Tell a Story Hive game changer um, envelope. And, uh, and that, was, that was really great because there are so many amazing stories that happen right here in our backyard.
0: All right. Uh, that's it for me for questions for this time. Uh, thanks again for joining me today. And this will broadcast uh, during the week at the film festival.
4: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, welcome everybody to come out and see The Gateway and celebrate hip hop in Calgary.
0: All right. Thanks. Thanks. That was my chat with local filmmaker Kamala Peral-Natal about her short film, The Gateway, which features her sister, a hip-hop artist in Calgary, Tara Wilson. That's it for ArtsLink this month.
1: Join us next month on the 23rd of October for the Funding Drive episode. It'll be live. We'll be playing some music, talking about what's important about this station and what it means to us. Hopefully get some of your filthy lucre. You've been listening to CGSW 90.9 FM.